1: At 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umar Sander Amado. Tonight, I'm here with... Akusia Autry. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, Parliamentary Committee on Vote of Senja against Finance Minister Ken Oferiata begins on a rancorous note, as members appear to have taken entrenched party positions on how to deal with the issue. Tonight, we ask, will this end anywhere? Also coming up, Anas Arimiao Anas promises Galamse, but delivers financial investments instead. We get public reactions to his latest work, which claimed a minister even before he was aired. And later on Eyewitness News, some aggrieved members of the NDC in the Tiwa West constituency of the Eastern Region want the Functional Executive Committee of the party to uphold an earlier decision to annul the constituency elections which were conducted under what they describe as strange circumstances. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business,
0: LPG Marketers Association predicts a 25% decline in use of products by the end of the year.
1: That's in 50 minutes from the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including Tumpani Radio 88.5, FM in Nandoli. In the Upper East Region, we are on Rika's 92.1 FM in Bongo Namo. In the Northern Region, we are live on North Star Radio 92.1 FM in Tamale. In the Northeast Region, Eyewitness News is live on Nobia FM 98.1 in Nalerigu. In the Western Region, we are live on Beach 105.5 FM in Takradi. In the Ashanti Region, tune to Eyewitness News and Focus 94.3 FM on the campus of the KNUST. And Orange, 107.9 FM, also in Kumasi. If you go to the Volta region, we are live on Sela Radio, 97.1 FM in Dabala And Holy, 98.5 FM in Afplau. Eyewitness News is interactive. Do join us on our various platforms. You can drop a message on our WhatsApp platform, 0549-986-996, 0549-986-996. Or if you're watching us on Facebook, where we are currently live, Drop your comments under the live feed that you're watching and the world will get to know what you think. Eyewitness News is live from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop, in Adabraka, in Accra. Let's start off with Ken Oforiata, the Minister of Finance who's got enemies not just from the opposition party but from his own party. At least 80 MPs, according to what their leaders said, had called a press conference demanding his removal and this was after the minority had moved or rather applied for him to be removed through a parliamentary process known as a vote of censure. Subsequent to that, there was a meeting. The president asked for more time. That more time was granted. But the vote of censure proceedings are proceeding anyway, and a committee has been set up to look into the work or the allegations that have been brought against the Minister of Finance. That committee had even numbers of NPP and NDC, four NPP MPs, four NDC MPs, one NDC chairman, one NPP chairman, so there were two co-chairmen. Katie Hammond from Adansia Square of the NPP is a co-chair, and Dr. Dominic Ayine, former deputy AG and MP for Bolga East, also a chair. And it took off on a very rancorous note, even on agreeing who runs the show was a bit difficult watching from afar, and the agreements and the positions appear to have been towing party lines or partisan lines, which is actually what we saw in the world well of parliament before that committee was created. Now, while all of this is happening, there's a group of MPs, at least 90 of them, who are saying that they're not going to hear the finance minister when he appears before parliament. We'll be hearing from them, but first, let's look at the work of the committee of parliament. Dr. Kojo Pumpuni Asante is Director of Advocacy and Policy Engagement at the Centre for Democratic Development Ghana. He's also a member of the Coalition for Democratic Accountability and Inclusive Governance, the Citizens Coalition. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News.
2: Uh, good evening, Mario. Uh Good evening to your listeners.
1: Did you watch the committee's work on TV or on radio, and what was your initial reaction?
2: Uh, I watched a bit of it... Um I first of all I mean this is unprecedented in the sense that I mean in, in the next year will be thirty years of of uh, constitutional rule and uh, we haven't really exercised this uh uh tool that Parliament has for censuring ministers, you know, for non performance uh and they have mover. So this is this is novel, and already I think it's raised uh many procedural issues uh people have Raise questions about you know the procedures that are used and so on and so forth but it's it's uncharted territory um it's new i i have been very uh unhappy with the judicialization of of the process because it just become like a courtroom and these things were not meant to be that way it was meant to be a debate um, an establishment of, of facts in parliamentary style, you know, like you have any kind of hearing, you know, but it's just, I don't know whether because there are just too many lawyers, <laughs> uh, leading these kinds of processes, it becomes a thing about leading evidence and, and so on. And there are objections and all of those kinds of things. I think, uh, that, that is not helpful because when, when you are a member of parliament and you are not a lawyer, it doesn't look like then, if you don't have that confidence, you, you know, for you to be able to uh, do your job, and we've we've had too many of these fact finding, um, you know, platforms where it has become, you know, almost like a courtroom in in, past, in, in the Fourth Republic, and I think we really need to move away from that that type of um, um, of you know fact finding process, so that that. Part of that I I find very frustrating, and also very frustrating because I don't understand why we even are at this point, you know, we've always raised, at least from a citizen coalition point of view, that this, you know, in a crisis, you want the country to move together. You really need the country to move together. We're going to need everybody to make sure that even whatever we agree with the IMF, it can be implemented, you know, it receives my change and so on. So having to now spend time on resolving this question about whether the finance minister should go and so on and so forth. I, I think, you know, this could have been dealt with long time ago if if the president had listened to all of us, uh, you know, saying that you, you need to make that confidence-boosting, that morale-boosting action that, okay, yes, this is the situation. People say the finance minister must go. Um once you take the person out it, it takes the tension out and then it allows you to focus on 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 the business of the day unfortunately we are we are now in this space and uh, and the stack of war uh, and and still our crisis hasn't gone anywhere
1: so it, you 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 think there's some legal bullying happening in the chamber but let's look at the main issues that came out so First of all, the issues had to be set out, and that's what lawyers would do. They did that uh, because he was there with his counsel, and they had to agree on all these issues. And then the persons who were making the allegations have had to come and make their submissions and be questioned, and that has happened. But at the end of the day, we know that this is a committee of even numbers. So the question would be, so what? We are going to go back to the same thing, aren't we?
2: yeah and that's i mean and that's the point I make about even the procedure because if if you know if it's about and I've, i mean i'm sure you have also seen parliamentary inquiries and uh, debates and stuff in other jurisdictions you know you 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 set the rules for you know basic facts to be established it doesn't become contested some of those things are even resolved so that it's not what are really the matters in in play that has to be discussed you know so that you can focus on, on 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 issues maybe that are contested um but the way it's been done as you said if if they whether or not they would, they would even agree to a particular recommendation, you are likely to get it back to the chamber and given the numbers you know the m p p has already indicated that they are not going to participate in, in the in uh, debates or whatever it is so i i I think it's unhelpful and the same minister is the one that's supposed to be preparing for a budget hearing. I don't understand now the MPP uh, uh, caucus is saying they don't want to deal with him so i i i am thinking about <laughs> the the thing that is staring us in the face and sometimes you see these law, law uh legal processes uh might my might, might be uh i look attractive uh, way to resolve these things but sometimes it's just political you know it's just political if right now uh the president exercises his powers to say okay fine you know i'm moving on with the minister or whatever or even came to some agreement and said yes we'll let the minister presented the budget next week after that he's gone or whatever maybe uh, there can be some resolution around these things rather than sort of going around the issue. And, and you can imagine investors who are looking at this situation as there is too much chaos. We don't have certainty. We cannot trust government that they will be able to carry this process forward. So there are real going to be consequences for us. And we expect our leaders and our, and our political class to read the room and find ways. To help resolve the issues that really, really matter to us at the end of the day, and some of these processes, I think, does not for me. It, it just it, it, it doesn't really help. As I said, it's novel. It is it's it's good that you know it's happening, but I feel in the crisis that we want, maybe a polka solution is a better thing. And the president has a lot of responsibility to make sure that we are focused on on the business of the day, which is trying to get fiscal consolidation, trying to ease the burden of Ghana. Um We haven't heard from the ministers who are supposed to be engaging with us on the specifics that the president promised us around trying to mitigate some of the, the symptoms of city depreciation and high inflation. So that's, you know, that, so that I, I I hope you understand my frustration. I got I a frustration yeah, because I was going to yes. ask
1: you, and I'm even worried because even ask you, it's going to be even worse. I was going to say to you that do you see any hope coming out of, of, of the Chamber of Parliament?
2: Well, I mean, as I said, the the budget is supposed to be right on the 24th. I don't know if it's going to move again or we are sticking with the date. If we're sticking with the date, then I, I guess there's it's one timeline that Probably helps everybody find some resolution to this, so we can move on, and as I've said, it's not also just the finance minister uh, that you know people have to raise questions about you know we we have called for the president to do some reshuffle because um as I said, even during the the crisis the early part of the crisis not, none of the ministers were out there. Even putting proposals together, and meanwhile they are there—that their portfolio, they are supposed to help take care of or address these kinds of things. So there's so much inertia, and and we need some new blood. We need some new energy to take us into this, you know, uh, last few years of the uh regime, because we have very big problems, and we need leadership. So uh, I really feel like, yes, yeah, the time frame is a very short one. Maybe within a week we'll have a resolution on this matter. And then we can we can get to the business of of, of of really governing and and solving the problems of the everyday man and woman.
1: Let's leave it here. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Doc. You're okay. You're welcome. That's Dr. Kujo Asante. He's Director of Advocacy and Policy Engagement at CDD. Ghana. Alhaji Nusa um, is a former MP for Tamale Central, and he's a lawyer. He, be, he was a teacher before becoming a lawyer. I spoke to him the day the committee was set up, and he said he thought the committee was needless. The House should have dealt with the matter of Ken Riata, so we had a clear heading and moved on from there. Well, he's not a chair of the, of the House. He's not a leader of the House. The, the Speaker took a decision, and the decision was that there should be a bipartisan committee. Observing the work of the committee from his house, what does he make of it? Um, has, does he feel vindicated or he would change his mind now about a committee being set up for this particular issue? Olaji, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. So I've asked a question in two ways. Uh, would you say you're sorry it was good that a committee was set up watching day one of proceedings or you would say I should give you your stone?
2: Well, Omoro I, I, uh, uh, uh first of all, let me say good evening to you and your cherished listeners, and good evening to Santi we just spoke. Omoro, I don't feel vindicated. I don't feel vindicated at all. I, my worst fear has come to pass. But look, like Gujarati we said, we're wasting too much time on something that ought to have been resolved expeditiously. We're in a crisis. Now, Article 82 provides the only constitutional, legal way of getting the people through their representatives to remove a minister. Now, you have 95 members of parliament. And at last, the last time I had at, uh, and the at- he said 98. Members of parliament of the majority side say they would not do business government business with Ken Uforata. You have 136 members of parliament of the minority who says that they want the minister to move and so they are filing a motion. The net effect of the 98 and 137 is that 134 a 234 members of Parliament for the removal of the Minister of Finance. 234 out of 275, you are left with 41. 41 is less than one-third members of Parliament. And so, if the 98 members of the mi- majority just carried through the threat. and 136 members of parliament say they, they have no confidence in the minister and that's why they filed a motion of censure, and so they wouldn't be present for the budget hearing parliament will not have a quorum for the purposes of canforata presenting the budget. It is a dire situation. That is why I thought that when the motion of Tesla was passed, and I I I I agree to a very large extent with Dr. Bojante. I mean if you look at the history of Parliament, it's the people's representatives. The voice of the people is carried through their representatives in Parliament. They They are not saying that we want to go to court. Nobody is imputing criminality. Kenoforetta is not going to go to jail. They're saying that the abysmal performance, the controversies surrounding surrounding Kenoforetta, the fact that he has said to us publicly that he did not believe that an IMF was a solution to Ghana's problems, the fact that he had been sent to Shiraj before on conflict of interest, too many the policies, the misreport. As alleged by the minority, we can no longer rely on Kennoforata. Why is it difficult for the president to listen to the majority of Ghana, Ghanians, as a representative in parliament through their members of parliament? I fail to see that. I fail to see why the president is interested in Trump. And i said it. The failure of the president to act on this cause on 234 members of parliament calling for the sucking of Kenoforiata by the president is probably the height of impunity because you cannot treat majority of Ghanaians whose voices are being carried by their members of parliament in parliament with contempt.
1: Now, this is not the first time there's a call for him to be removed, even from the majority side. This new number you are quoting, over ninety of them, it may make no difference again. Because the last time they were so so sure that they were going to get their way, but when they met with the president, he managed to convince them. Do you not see that by the time the budget day comes, the executive would have found a way? of whipping its members in line, like you guys do in parliament?
2: In fact, uh, Omar Sander, if this had been a parliamentary democracy, the government of the MPP would have collapsed by now. You have your own members of parliament passing in a vote of no confidence in the decision of the head of state in maintaining a minister in office. And you think that's a life matter. They are calling into question the actions and inactions of the president in the face of our die economic condition. I think that it is time the President listened after all, as one states it's clearly that the powers of government must be exercised for the welfare of the people, not the welfare of family members of the president.
1: So the President must Minister. But the same constitution you quote says that the President has the executive authority to appoint a minister. That minister serves at his pleasure. It does not say that the president shall appoint a minister in consultation with the nation or through the nation's representatives in parliament. But this is a man. No, it will ask for the people to endorse, and they've already done the endorsement several years ago. And they said that they they like him. He should go ahead and, despite everything, they have approved him. Now, he says this is a man he's comfortable with to help him get the economy out of the doldrums. You are asking him to bring someone else. If he brings that person and that person fails, can you truly blame him?
2: So, first of all, let's unpack. The exercise of the executive authority of the president to appoint ministers of state has an institutional limitation. He cannot do it. He cannot appoint ministers of state that parliamentary approval, so that power of appointment is limited by the power of parliament to approve now that power of parliament to approve is the power okay. parliament derives in its representative capacity to the people approve the minister through their representatives in parliament in parliament now when the Members of parliament exercising the powers conferred on them by the people they represent approve a minister. The only authority that they have to remove or reject the minister is through a motion of censure in parliament. And so that motion is not used lightly. So when you read Article 82 carefully, there are timelines, there are conditions there are procedures, or there's a procedure outlined in Article 82. So the, both the substantive law and the aditival law, or if you want procedural law, is contained in Article 82. Article 82. So one-third of members of Parliament must sign a petition, must sign the motion. The motion must lie in Parliament for seven days, constituting notice. The motion must be debated within fourteen days, so you can. I mean, you must start the debate within fourteen days. Now, the motion, in debating the motion, the minister must be given an an opportunity to be heard in his defence. So you cannot conclude the motion without listening to the minister. The motion is carried by two-thirds majority of members. So the, the high threshold. Clearly, and the guidelines indicated in Article eighty two clearly points to us to a direction. A direction that clearly requires an expeditious resolution of the matter. It's not a trial. If you want go back and look at the French Revolution and the Bastille, how trials were conducted or how investigations were conducted in parliament. It is not a trial. They're just saying that they have lost confidence in you, that they don't think that you can move Ghana out of the group, that your your past actions do not give them confidence. And if the powers of government are to be exercised for the welfare and benefit of the people of Ghana, then the president is bound to listen.
1: What options are left, uh, you reckon, for the House of Parliament in this matter?
2: You see, you recall when the committee was formed. I said, yes, even though we are in novel territory, uncharted waters, but I have said that you don't form a committee of that nature with two chairmen. You see, leadership and responsibility is important any time the committee of Parliament is to be established, whether standing. Select, special, or ad hoc. Composition of the membership is equally important. Why? Because of decision. Decision-making. Committees of parliament make decisions on the basis of unanimity or consensus. Unanimity, when they all agree. Consensus, when they vote to determine the issue. Now, if you put Form a committee of equal membership, and all the members of the committee line up behind their respective chairman. How will you resolve issues at the committee level?
1: There was actually a scenario. Yeah, there, there was a scenario where Katie Hammond, a co-chair, made a determination, and uh, his co-chair, uh, Dr. Yinner, disagreed. But he said to him in plain words that. If you disagree, you really have nothing, no choice, because I have four people on my side or three people on my side. You have three. What are you going to do? You challenge my what vote. What Yeah, you're going to challenge my vote, and it will end nowhere anyway. We'll do what? So, yeah, right. well, like I said. So the the, so the, we'll the challenge died 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 on, on, on arrival. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, it died in <laughs> uh, Even though Kujacha did we should uh, we should. He uh, said, don't use uh, a lot of
1: legal jargons. Legal
2: jargons. Yeah. So 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 so. I mean, that is that is the problem the committee will be faced with. And recent events in Parliament does not even come at all. Even with the Privileges Committee, where there is a clear majority and minority members on the committee they failed, refused, or neglected to arrive at a decision when they were so tacked with the enforcement of Article 971c. And so, yes... I think that what the speaker, and I agree with Muntaka, I agree with Kletusavoka, I agree with Mama Nyarga. I think that the, the speaker should have allowed debate. After all, the members of the proponents of the motion were and are still under a duty to convince some members of the majority that their motion has merit. And so, if they allow the debate, probably the minority members will be able to convince some of the majority to come to their side and vote for them. In any case, probably the minority members of parliament have not fully grasped what Ken has been doing in is office, And that is why the Constitution says that he must be held in defense. If, limit. <laughs> if the matter were allowed to take its natural course under Article 82, probably this matter would have been long dealt with. They would have been waiting on the President to exercise authority, executive authority under Article 68 to change the minister, or continue him in office would die consequences for the
1: country. Thank you. Let's leave it here for now. We will be coming back to you after Friday and maybe when the committee presents his work on Monday, or well, we do not know when it will be doing that, but he's been giving seven work days. Thank you so much for speaking to us. You have extended details. Yeah, thank you. That's Alaj Fuseni, Fusseini, uh, his former Tamale Central MP, former Minister for Roads and Highways, former Minister Deputy for Energy, and also former Minister for Lands and Natural Resources. So we're discussing the the Ad Hoc Committee in Parliament, eight-member committee sitting on the Senja uh, motion brought against Ken O'Reilly, the Minister of Finance. Let's give you a flavor of what transpired, in case you you didn't hear it.
3: We don't know which one they are talking about. If you go further, let me just skip to the last charge, charge 7. It says, gross mismanagement of the Ghanaian economy, which has occasioned untold and unprecedented hardship. If you give us PIAC report, if you give us uh, staff reports of 2018, 2019, 2020, with all due respect, it would take us about maybe two months to go through all that. And it would not be fair to the Minister of Finance To be ambushed and right here without any preparation to start answering questions. And in any event, Mrs. Chairman, if we do not constrain the accusers within the four walls of
4: what they intend. I think he objects to being called an accuser.
3: Well, how would you like Chama, to. Share? Very, very strongly. I mean, if I quote okay. the president where he himself says that there are a I do apologize. Are, I do apologize. May I, may I yeah. just. May, so I do apologize. And then, Chairman, if you can just one minute, you see, I, I, let me just. 21st you know.
4: June 2022. I do want to get you know. and
3: gave us evidence that data bank benefited. benefited $159 million between 2017 to 2021 from bonds issued and from borrowing. And then, Chairman, as I said, National Cathedral, we see a warrant signed by the minister for $142.7 million. We tender that in evidence, and we back it with evidence. Thank you. Mrs. Chairman, first of all, my apologies for, for calling you an accuser. Uh, Mrs. Chairman... All we are asking for, and if I just, let me just repeat, before we start this, this proceeding, all we are asking for, in the interest of justice, is that we should be furnished with the full particulars of the facts in support of each of the allegations contained in the letter. And then,
4: the supporting of,
3: if I may... Yeah, um, Council, are you aware that uh, from the Hansard report, payments were made to Data Bank? You are aware of that? It is obvious. Very well. Among others? Yeah. Among others? Yeah. All right. And the Finance Minister stands in a relationship with Data Bank, does he not? The Finance Minister is a co founder of Data Bank. Okay, and and he's not the first finance minister to be a founder of a bank.
4: Well, that that is a. Historical but he founded
3: match. it before. Before Ver, very well, no, very well.
4: What about the resignations? I read something about he resigned oh, from uh, the. Honourable KT Amon, can on, I, can I, can land. I to 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 It is important. It's important. Right, it's
3: do important. It's important. What about
4: the? Is he still a member? whatever He resigned,
3: I believe, in 2014 or 2012 yeah but he's a shareholder is he not oh no council please you made you made you made a constitutional objection based upon the content but I, the but content I, I, I the okay my respectfully yes. i am saying that there's nothing wrong with parliament asking a minister of finance about Payments made to Bemis his company. Made. But in this particular instance, the charge or allegation or ground for his removal through the process of vote of censure is specifically about conflict of interest. I think let's, let's, let's not um, try
4: to... I, I think we had th- enough of this. Yes. Uh, we had enough. Thank you very much.
0: Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
4: Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973.
1: With the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra around the globe. We are on City Newsroom Dot com. We are also on Facebook Live. My name is Omar Usandamadu here with Akosya Autry and we are bringing you uh, stories uh, that are making the headlines today and the big stories that is. And um, one of the stories we are looking at is the Ad Hoc Committee of Parliament, which has been sitting, uh, started sitting yesterday and the initial issues that have come up. We are also looking at Anas Miao Anas. Recall his latest Galamse, known as Galamse, not Galamse, documentary, Galamse Economy. He has done the public screening, but even before the public screening, uh, there was um, an issue about um, the Minister of State at uh, the Ministry of Finance, Charles Edu he was sacked by the president. Um, usually what Anas does is he shares uh, his video with the audience that come to the venue that he advertises for the screening. So that happened at the conference center on Monday. Tonight he has released Excepts, or except, the full documentary on his Facebook page. I'm just going to play except for you. Listen.
4: Was then presented with some money by the investigators who posed as investors as part of the undercover sting. You know, it's hard to come up with a percentage because I don't know what the amount of work involved.
5: When it comes to the percentage, it says uh, that, for instance, if it is about 100 and less than a okay. million.
1: So um, that's just a video we're playing for you from uh, Anas Armiy Anas's Facebook uh, page. The audio not that audible, but it is a footage that shows um, the minister, well, now former minister of state at the Ministry of Finance, Charles Edoubain, seated in a chair in what looks like a hotel room, uh, facing a figure that is not in short, and that person is speaking through an interpreter who keeps engaging the minister and translating for him whatever is said by the other person who is supposed to be the the sheikh, who is out of view, and the interpreter is also out of view. And then um, the proceedings continue. Now, the full documentary is 35 minutes, uh, but the part about Charles E. Is not that long. It's not even up to a third of the. Well, maybe around a third of the full documentary. Uh, already, the president has acted. There are issues of corruption or corruption-related offences because the president has forwarded that to the uh, office of special prosecutor. The office of special prosecutor has announced that it has commenced investigations. Let's speak to vital Azim. He's an anti-corruption crusader. He former. He used to work with the Ghana Integrity initiative. Mr. Azim, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. There was swift action by the President. I believe as uh, people in the corruption space or anti-corruption space you celebrated. Uh, I don't know if you have seen the full documentary and uh, if you really believe that there's some corruption in there somewhere.
2: Uh, you see, I'm not a lawyer, and I th- but I think there are two aspects of it. It's this influence peddling it, it, it could be corruption. But if it's impersonation, maybe it's a different crime that should have gone to the police CID. So it depends on how you look at it. It could be corruption or corruption related. And that's the reason why the president referred it to the Office of Special Prosecutor. But it could also be impersonation. But the point that we all need to be careful to know about is that the letter that terminated upon said the president spoke to him, which means that the president spoke to him and got to know that he had done something wrong, and he probably admitted, probably admitted that yes, what this, the 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 said is true, and that's why the president decided to go ahead and uh, ask him to go.
1: If it was up to you, which angle would you be looking at the documentary from? Would it be the influence peddling bit or the uh, impos- imposition? And I'm not sure what you even meant by being an imposter.
2: No, impo- impersonation. Impersonation, no, yes. yes, I, yes I, 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 yeah, I think that I would have looked at it from that point of view because we don't have evidence that he actually collected the money. Well, I haven't watched...
4: Okay, the, so, the, the, so in, the vi-
1: in the video, he's shown collecting money... Okay. But, the sheikh, yes, but money, is... the sheikh who gave but him that money, the sheikh who gave him that money said, "It is tradition that when you come to a sheikh's palace, he gives you cola, and that was a cola he was given to him to go use for shopping."
2: Yeah, but they see the chief. His father is probably a chief, but he's not the chief. So I, I, I would, prefer, would have liked to look at that as impersonation because he's using the name of the vice president, and there's no guarantee, there's no proof, evidence that the vice president asked him to ask for those monies. And that when he, the money he collected actually went to the vice president, that's why I would have looked at it as impersonation rather than, uh, influence president. Well, in fact, it's a bit difficult to separate the two. But influence person also means when you say, oh, I'm in a I'm close to this guy, if you give me this, I'll do it to you. So it depends on how the investigation come out. It could be either of them.
1: Now, the president has proceeded by, by, by removing his minister. Do you think there are more people who should be involved in this? And there are even people who are also raising issues of ethical uh, matters as to how the investigation was conducted. I will talk about entrapment and so on. Do you think these matters, or so far as you're involved, you're involved, regardless of what the procedure was?
2: You see, the work I don't know the details of the work of uh, an investigative journalist. But if you are not a corrupt person, if you are not a criminal and you're walking by and you see something lying down that is not yours, you won't pick it. So the, I don't agree with the issue of entrapment.
1: Even if you're giving something as cola which is offered you in a palace for you to use to do shop. Cola
2: for doing what? You must have been given the cola for doing something or be asked to do something. So I, 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 I don't want to agree with the issue of entrapment. Look, in the video, in previous videos, money were over to certain people and said, no, they won't take it.
6: So if you took
2: it, what is the entrapment? As someone at that level, you should have even known the possibility of entrapment. So if you took it, the investigative journalists were probably heard and known that this is what happens within your, 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 I mean, that's what you have been doing. And that's why they even thought about coming to you for entrapment. Are you the only one that was in that position? that they decided to entrap. So for me I don't want to agree with issue of entrapment. It's a strategy that investigative journalists use not just in Ghana but in other places. And Anas has used this at other places,
7: using with the case of the judges
2: and all that. And people were sacked as a result. So that alone should have been enough for people to know that look, who is this person that I'm taking this money from? What is the rationale, motivation for coming to make this office to me? So, I think that if you're not a corrupt person, if you're not a criminal, if you're not interested in taking money for your personal gain, somebody just comes offers you money for a favor. You're not yet even in a way to give that favor, you don't take those money.
1: Very well. Uh, thank you. We'll be watching that space and thank you so much for speaking to us. You're welcome. That's Vital Zazim. He was with the Ghana Integrity Initiative, GII. Uh, there's a critic. Of Anas' work, and I must say that a number of people have uh, given their public commentaries on social media since watching that video, which video has now been shared on his Facebook uh, post, uh, there have been commendations and condemnations of the work of Anas Arimiao Anas. I'm looking at the daily graphic of today, and there's a piece in there, an opinion piece by Elizabeth Ohini, Well, um, I don't know if I should describe it as a retired journalist. Not necessarily. Maybe a retired editor of the Daily Graphic, former BBC journalist, and so on. Uh, She has written in the Daily Graphic, and uh, there are things that she describes as queasy things. And uh, one of the subheadings, let me just read that for you. It says, a number of queasy things emerge from the accounts of this video. Not sure if it qualifies as a documentary, but that is another story. I believe Anas Arimi Anas and his team all us some explanations. If, as it turns out, this incident with, with Edou Dubuahin was filmed back in 2018, why have they kept it under wraps all this while, and why have they chosen this time? November 2022, almost five years later, to release it. If, in their judgment, they saw what transpired in that hotel room in the United Arab Emirates as so reprehensible, why have they kept it for almost five years? They have looked on while Charles Edu served a full term as Deputy Minister of Finance in the first Akufado government. They looked on while Charles Edu was nominated by the re-elected President Akufado as a Minister of State and vetted by Parliament and sworn into office. They have looked on as Charles Edu has performed his duties as Minister of State in the Ministry of Finance. In the inter- intervening four plus years, one must wonder what they were doing with their film and what relationship, if any, they had with the Minister of State. Hello, Mr. Dubwain. Good morning. Just calling to check up on you and to make sure you remember your encounter with the sheikhs in the hotel room. Hello, Mr. Dubwain. Good evening. We saw a picture of you today with a high power delegation from some foreign country talking high finance. And we just remembered your sheikhs. We just remembered your encounter with the sheikhs in the hotel room in the Emirates. Hello, Mr. Dubwain. Good afternoon. We do hope you are having a good day. You are on the radio speaking about the government's plans For the next five years, and we thought you might want to remember your encounter with the sheikhs in the hotel room. Hello, Mr. Dubwine. Long time. We are doing a clear out of the closets in our offices, and we came across some old canned films. And we were wondering if you still remember your encounter with the sheikhs in the hotel room so long ago. Uh, the story continues. See, explanations. We deserve some explanation, just as our minds don't wander. Nobody is ever likely to emerge smelling roses when associated with dollars in black plastic bags. And once there is a scene captured on camera of the then deputy minister stuffing money into a plastic bag, it was fair to conclude his fate was sealed. In spite of the fact that they said he said in the course of his unnecessary premature counting of dividends that he believes in working for his money that stuffed plastic bag um, paints a picture of greed. It is not disclosed in the video how much there was of the dollars given to him as shopping money, and he must have cursed himself a thousand times before that day he didn't turn down the offer. The concluding part, uh, Elizabeth Honi says, As far as the parts in the video in which the Vice President was the subject are concerned, I am going to stick to the then Deputy Finance Minister saying, The vice president is not really like that. I'm also mindful of the fact that we were taught to resist what lawyers call leading questions when conducting interviews. Tiger Eye says this was a documentary aimed at exposing those making Ghana unattractive for investors and cut deals at the expense of the state. If indeed they had managed to, quote-unquote, penetrate the modus operandi of these people and had then kept silent for almost five years, They must be almost as guilty. They must be almost guilty of collusion. We need some answers. So that's Elizabeth Ohini writing in the Daily Graphic. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Let us know what you also have to say about the stories we are bringing you tonight. Uh, You do know the platforms on WhatsApp or also on Facebook. Please stay with us.
0: Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
4: Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash CT97.3. Twitter at Twitter.com forward slash CT973. And Instagram at Instagram.com forward slash CT973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News.
8: Get in
0: the details every significant financial transaction. Free market movement and all the policies that affect
4: your business. City Business News. Be informed.
0: Time now for City Business News and Eyewitness News, powered by CityBusinessNews.com. My name is Akosia Otre. Coming up. The LPG Marketers Association is predicting a 25% decline in consumption of LPG by the close of the year. And later, Italian Embassy in Ghana highlights commitment to investing in the country's agribusiness sector. Let's settle for the details. The LPG Marketers Association is predicting a 25% decline in consumption of LPG by the close of the year. This, according to the association, is as a result of taxes on the product, which has culminated in price hikes recorded in months past. Currently, a kilogram of LPG is selling at 15 Ghana cities, 90 pesos, but consumers are expected to pay 10% higher for the product. Speaking to City Business News, the Vice President for the LPG Marketers Association, Gabriel Kumi, says if no intervention is made soon, the price of the commodity will continue to soar.
5: We have been calling for government to ensure that the LPG is affordable. Uh, And one of the things we've been pushing for is the removal of taxes from LPG. Uh, We believe LPG must be made tax-free. Uh, of course, we are not saying removing the tax will push every Ghanian to consume LPG, but as we all know, LPG is highly price sensitive. Any single peso that you remove from the price of the product goes a long way to affect its consumption. Unfortunately, LPG consumption has taken a nosedive. It's on the decline now in Ghana. Um, our projection is that by the end of this year, uh, we will we will go down by about twenty, twenty, twenty-five percent, as against last year. Consumption of LPG will go down by about twenty, twenty-five percent. Last year we did an average of about twenty-eight thousand metric tons, but this year, as at uh, October, we had done an average of about twenty-four thousand metric tons, and that that dip continues to deepen, because as the price rises, consumption also decreases. So if drastic measures are not taken immediately to bring the price of LPG down uh, LPG consumption will continue to suffer Vice
0: President of the LPG Marketers Association, Gabriel Kumi. Now over 100 individuals have benefited to the tune of about 20 million cities as part of the sectorial expansion of the COVID-19 response grant program. The Ghana Enterprises Agency had earlier opened an online portal for the application of the second phase of the COVID-19 grant for small and medium-scale enterprises, with a wider reach that could not be covered in the first phase. This is coming after a successful implementation of the first module, which benefited almost 400 businesses. Speaking to the media on the sidelines of the grant contract signing ceremony, Chief Executive of the agency, Kosi Aye, added that the program has so far been
8: successful. The idea behind it was to try and transform the economy post-COVID, and it seems like COVID never really left anybody in the world. And so to be able to support that, this program was to provide access to funding and technical assistance support. But one main component was the COVID response grants. So under the COVID response grants, we provided support, we provided funding to build the businesses and to stabilize them. And in the first phase, over 370 plus businesses were supported. Then we came to the second phase, which is what it is that we are working on now. In this current second phase of it, we've already done disbursements for the first group. We're currently at the second group phase, which is what you see today. And the idea is to give them access to funding based on the applications they had put together to build and grow their businesses and to support them. So we looked across the spectrum, women, persons with disabilities. This time we paid a close attention to it. So when the project's first phase ended, we made a strong case to the World Bank and the Ministry of Finance. And the case we made was that there's still a major need. Because you still see that there are a lot of businesses that hadn't received part of the funding. And they were generous enough to give us the funding that would help them, the funding that would help them grow their businesses and support them over time. And that's what we see today. So that was Chief Executive of
0: the agency, Kosi Yankaya. Phoenix Life Assurance has merged with Ghana Union Assurance to form Impact Life, which will provide quality life insurance services to customers across the country. The alliance between the two insurance companies is an unprecedented move in the life insurance sector. Addressing the media at the launch of the merger, Chief Executive Officer of Impact Live, Sharif Abudu, pointed out measures his new outfit will take to increase insurance participation in the country.
4: Good. So what we're going to do, one, most guys are using technology already, which is good brilliant. Um, we are going to also use technology. That's one. We're going to sell our products through the website. That's two. And also do cross-selling. Because we realize that most people in the informal sector are just comfortable with the informal sector operations. But we want to also expand their scope for them to come into the retail space and even try to cover small-scale businesses at the corporate level, like um, compensation for work months, compensation, injuries, personal accidents, and hospitalization. So once we get that done, Automatically, we have to increase the the insurance penetration level gradually over time. In the next 10 years, it will be like this. It will be bigger.
0: Sharif Abudu is the Chief Executive Officer of Impact Live. Now away from that, the Italian Embassy in Ghana has reiterated its commitment to investing in the Ghanaian agribusiness sector. The embassy maintains that its efforts in ensuring sustainable business avenues with its Ghanaian partners will yield positive results for both parties. Speaking on the sidelines of the 7th edition of the Italian Cuisine Week, the Italian Ambassador to Ghana, Her Excellency Daniela Dolandi, disclosed that it has committed close to half a billion euros to business deals in Ghana since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic.
8: To
7: this celebration, uh, many Ghanaian companies are taking part because this evening there are many prominent businessmen from Italy and also from Ghana, the main importers here in Ghana of Italian wines and also Italian producers. And uh, as the embassy and the Italian trade agency, we work together to promote uh, more opportunities for business between Ghanaian and Italian companies in all sectors, but with a special focus on the agribusiness sector, agrofood. While the trade volumes, notwithstanding the COVID pandemics, uh, uh, are quite uh, important because last year, in 2021, the total volume reached uh, half billion euros, and we hope that it will increase. And uh, in fact, uh, the embassy and the trade agency have been supporting trade missions of uh, Ghanaian companies to the most important uh, fairs in Italy, including in the vegetable and fruit sector.
0: Italian Ambassador to Ghana, Her Excellency Daniela Dolandi. Meanwhile, the Deputy Minister of Trade and Industry, Herbert Krappas, says business operators should be deliberate in building a sustainable business network that will complement the efforts being made by government in the sector.
4: It's all an avenue of increasing government and the private sector dialogue to ensure that we are we are we are activating more businesses. I think what has been lacking for some time is how we are able to be deliberate about those things that help to drive businesses, those things that allow us to recognize where the opportunities are, and then we can, we can give capacity to Ghanaian businesses to take advantage of those. Um, I've met different producers also here who I see that are making you know, contact with Ghanaian businesses as well. And I think increasingly we have to pay more attention to such approaches. In Barbados, um, a couple of months ago, I said that tourism and trade are bedfellows. Well. And we have to pay attention to how we, we bring the two a bit more closely together. Inter- Institutional-ministerial collaboration, I think, is the way. And we have to, I, I, I like
0: this style, I like this approach, and I think we have to encourage it voice of Deputy Minister of Trade and Industry, Herbert Crapper. And that's it for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Akosia Autry. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
1: This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Omar Sandamaru. Tonight on Point Blank, we're looking at two issues. NDC politics in the East Region, specifically the Tiwa West constituency. Also that uh, scary story, if you like. A worrying story that we've seen. That the Minister for Health says a number of our doctors still do not want to be posted to the rural areas unless they are given some incentives how we're we going to deal with that particular issue. It's up for discussion here on Point Blank. My name is Umaru Sandamadu, and you're welcome. The first story takes us to the Eastern region, and some NDC members in the Tiwa West constituency a calling on the Functional Executive Committee of the party to uphold an earlier decision to annul the constituency elections which were conducted under what they describe as strange circumstances. One of the persons making the call is Julius Caesar Gaffley. Uh, Daffley is uh, a Tewa West NDC constituency aspirant. Uh, Julius Caesar, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. I hope I got your surname correct. Good evening, yes, uh, that's right. It's Daffley. Yes, sir. All right, now tell us what the genesis of this your problem is. All uh,
2: right, thank you very much, and good evening to your listeners. Uh, I hope you are all aware of our internal uh, elections. It started from the the branches, the constituency, and now we are dealing with the the regional elections. Our constituency elections was uh, slated on twenty second and twenty third of uh October. So as we were preparing for the elections, uh, a day to the elections, some members who felt they were not treated well at the, the branches during the branch elections uh, went to court to seek uh, a, a court injunction, restraining the consensus elections from taking place. So based on that, uh announcement was made. We had a call from the police. That the election uh, cannot take place because the, election, uh, the police has been served with court injunction. The electoral commission also received same, and the party. So the election was supposed to be put on hold. So the following morning, then we heard uh, the constituency chairman has organized some people to meet and uh, conduct the election. All this happening. <laughs> The absence of the election commission, and we see it as a very, as a clear violation. We see it as a clever violation of our party constitutions and the guidelines for the conduct of the constituency elections. So these are all some of the issues that we are raising that is making the uh, the constituency elections null and void. And through to that, the functional executive committee on 26 of uh, October after reviewing the constituency election and all the results and call it null and void. And on the 9th of October, the further upheld or stated that their decision of annulment has not changed. So what we are calling on the FN Executive Committee is they should stick to their decision and come up with a new deed for a fresh election to be held. Because what was held earlier on we see it as uh, unfair, not transparent, it was not democratic, and it was conducted to, to, to satisfy a parochial interest by our incumbent consenting
1: chairman. Okay, so did the election happen, though?
2: The, yeah, the election happened.
1: And Mr. But Johnson and a number of other people were elected. Yes, they were elected. So you hold the view that um, they should not be elected? They should, they should not have been elected?
2: At all. I want you
1: I, was... I to stay on the line briefly and then hear Mr. Emo Johnson. Um, okay. He's joining us on the line. Mr. Emo Johnson, constituency chairman, Etiwa West, NDC. You're welcome to Eyewitness News, point blank. Thank you, sir. When your party members say you are not supposed to de- call yourselves as executive because the election... That uh, ushered you in ought not to have even been conducted. What would you respond? What would be your response? Mm.
2: Thank you very much, and good evening to your listeners. I think it's worth noting that our party has some internal structures that all grievances and disputes have been laid before. And to the best of my knowledge, their colleague on the other side, who was aspiring to become the constituency secretary, they had written a petition to the National Functional Executive Committee. And for that matter, they have been called and they have been heard. I deal with the structures of the party. And since we are still in waiting to get the outcome of the petition that we were served and we, we, we did respond to i cannot speak to the substantive matter because it is still before FEC for consideration
1: so your election currently holds doesn't it hello your election you believe holds until fact makes a determination
2: exactly the point we are constituency executive elected and we have been sworn into office
1: And this is with the endorsement of the National Party?
2: That is the regulation that we are working with.
1: Okay, so if your election was conducted in the absence of officials from the EC and without supervision from the Regional Elections Committee of your party and despite a court injunction, according to the members, how legitimate can you hold yourselves to be? Uh,
2: You see, that is why it is very strange that who served the injunction, and it was served on who? Does the police represent National Democratic Congress? The Ghana Police Service has no business in dealing with National Democratic Congress and our internal party affairs. And nobody (laughs) should should just even make these unwarranted claims. The party was not served. In the books of the party, nobody has served any party official in connection with the said injunction. It was just a rumour-mongering, and they were using it as a tactic to get people not to attend to the conference. And come and see, people were there in their numbers. Delegates
1: were there. Were there electoral commission officials?
2: You see, electoral commission works, according to our guidelines, electoral commission works under the guidance of the constituency election committee. So if I'm providing guidance to you before you do your work, even if, if you are not there, what stops me from doing the work which originally I can do and I can perform?
1: Yes, but it doesn't answer the question. Was EC there? No.
6: No, no, no. EC says we have injuncted. But the party was not injuncted. How about, the regional, re, how about the regional elections committee? The
2: regional election committee was the one who came to supervise the project. They brought the ballot papers. They brought the. How did we we get the ballot papers? Who provided the ballot papers? I think. Let the young man be different. Let the young
1: man be different. No, Julius, nobody's hearing you, so if you kindly stop what you're doing so we can hear the chairman and I dispatch him and come to you. So, uh, chairman, please conclude.
2: Uh, I'm saying that the election materials are under the amputee of the Regional Elections Committee, who works hand-in-hand with the Constituency Elections Committee. And for that matter, <laughs> nobody can reason up to the fact that Regional election Committee did not survive the elections. How did we get the election material, especially the ballot papers? How did we get it? Because it, it was not printed here. It was printed by National through the region, And we had it through the regional chairman. Okay. Of the
1: election committee. I very smart. Very well. Thank you. Thank you. That's Ammo Johnson, his constituency chairman uh, for Etiwa West NDC. Let me conclude, with Julius. Julius, You've heard him there. He didn't print the ballot papers in your in your village. He he got it from Accra, which means the party has endorsed it, despite all the issues you've claimed. What options are left for you?
2: Be, be before before I respond to that, it seems my constituency chairman is not aware of the party constitution because Article
6: Thirty Eight. 9E of the party constitution states clearly that the, it is the letter commission that should conduct all our party elections, with the exception of the branch elections. So if my consensus chairman is not even aware of the party constitution. That's why he violated and did what he did. So if you, my consensus chairman can respond to the question that why did you call up the conference? Because he said
2: conference should be called up because he has been severely a court injunction. Therefore... Delegates should go home and prefer that notice. A new date will be fixed for the election to be held. Why did he make that
1: pronouncement? But were there he, no ballots cast? Were there no ballots cast?
2: Ballot. The ballot
6: papers were brought in. They were just delivered by the uh, the regional election director, and he left.
1: But what, he what, 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 left. what? Did they not cast the ballots? Didn't people vote?
2: The the the, the ballot was cast. Okay. And oh, Do you know what happened, Amaru? Do you know what happened? The constituency director of elections, the election committee chairman for the constituency, did not even know that there was an election. He said the result the following day. This is because he dispatched, he called of conference. He said okay. everybody should go home. And all the other, his, the opposing aspirant, they left. Because he has called a conference. Okay. Because there was an injunction, the police also left. And
6: it is interesting to know that the conference was organized in his hometown. And because there was no police, when the police left... He organized a measurement to attack with the opposing
2: candidates. We have to leave the town. Okay. the police. The police said there was an injunction. In the first place, the election was not supposed to be held. So they can't come to the rescue of anybody. So, per the security advice, we are informed to leave the place if you really want to protect our
1: lives. Okay, thank you. Thank so you for this, speaking in, to us. In I think we, we, uh, this
2: situation, I'm, I'm, you want us to take part in this election, and can you call this election free and fair? I'm sorry. But let's leave opposed, let, all the opposing parties were not around.
1: I'm I'm sorry. We have to leave it here. Thank you. That's Julius Caesar uh, Dafil rather. He's a West, um, NDC constituency aspirant, and they are not happy with what happened there. Let's move to health matters now. Our Minister for Health has made an announcement that is a bit um, um, well, scary. He says a survey that has been conducted by government reveals that medical doctors are demanding for forty percent of basic salaries as incentive allowances. For acceptance of postings to deprived communities. Let's speak to Dr. Justice Yangsin he's vice president of the Ghana Medical Association. Doc, the issue of um, incentives for postings is not new, but if doctors are demanding 40% of basic salaries before they go, that's going to be a big drain on government coffers, and that would ultimately mean that doctors who are supposed to be posted will not go. For instance, we are told that out of the minister said, out of 10 doctors posted, to the OT region, only one reported to work. That, that is a problem, isn't it?
6: Amaru, uh, uh, I think we need to put certain things in context and the right perspectives as well. Uh, I listened to the minister, and uh, he said that recommendations from a working group that included the health professionals, i.e. doctors and other cadre of health professionals, as well as with support from the WHO and some consultants, and then personnel of the Ministry of Health itself, have put together a certain document that they are looking at, and the recommendations were what he mentioned, and the recommendations, he did use the word health professionals. So let's not let it look as if that doctors have gone out to say certain things. But what is most important is that we have inequitable or mal distribution of health professionals generally, and uh, doctors in particular. And as an association, we just ended our annual conference in Volga. That was actually the theme of our conference. We sought to find how best we can address this problem. We've also made appeals to our own members. But beyond that, there are certain principles that we cannot run away from. And one of it is what we just mentioned, the issue of incentives for health professionals. This is a strategy that is practiced the world over, both in developed, underdeveloped, and maybe you can even say developing countries. Because there is always a drift of professionals generally, not doctors alone, to urban areas at the expense of deprived areas. So if you go to the United States, if you go to Europe and all other places, you you find this problem existing. And what they have done, which the WHO also endorses, is to put in strategic incentive packages, both monetary and non a to make sure that you are able to attract and also retain these much-needed professionals in some of these deprived areas to help ensure that the right kind of quality health services are provided. And that is the kind of thing we are talking about. So at this point,
1: it is important
6: Mm -hmm. that the minister ensures that these recommendations that have come to the fore are implemented effective now. That okay. is the only way we can help check some of these problems.
1: But how bad is the situation, Doc? I'm sure you've been hearing reports from your your, your association members. How how bad is the situation for a doctor who's been posted to any of the rural communities?
6: You see let, let me say this. Sometimes uh, we want to play ostrich, but doctors are highly trained professionals who are well sought after by a lot of countries, especially the Ghanaian doctor. Look, take all the professions you have in this country and find out how many of them you see these professionals in their numbers working in rural areas. So let us not look like it is doctored. But if we want to prioritize health service delivery, then it is important that we put in this kind of measure. Now, as I said earlier, we just finished our conference. We published it in the communique. But what is clear is that the mal distribution or inequitable distribution cannot continue to happen. When we talk about posting, nothing compels a man to work for any employer, be it public or private. So, if we just want to use posting as a tool and think that it will help resolve these problems, then unfortunately we might be getting it wrong because it keeps happening. You post people, and at the end of the day, they may end up working, say, in the cities or leave the country altogether. What it is is that the law of the cities. And what, let's say, the private sector is ready to give them the sort of, in quotes, social you know services available to them in their cities and their families are such that uh, they will always prefer to be here. Some, generally, because of their own family uh, dynamics, they may even have to leave the country and what have you. But we need to be strategic and put in certain packages that will let people go to some of these underserved areas. Self, and then at some point, if they need to move on, they can move on, others can also go. And so such a time we are, that we are able to do these things, we'll continue to have this problem. As we speak, we are putting up Agenda 111 project, a fantastic idea, a fantastic project that the Ghana Medical Association actually endorses. But just putting up those structures without taking care of the human resource aspect, will not lead to a transformation of our healthcare delivery system. And that is why we need to start prioritizing some of these arrangements to ensure that we get the right set of professionals to work in these areas. Because, for example, 88 out of the 111 are in districts without any district hospital. And most of them are not in a car or Kumase, they are in underserved areas. We need to get people there. The working conditions of the professionals, when they get there, and the opportunities to upgrade themselves professionally, sometimes don't exist in all these areas. So we have cataloged a lot of things that should be done. We made presentations when this working group was uh, sitting. We were also involved. And beyond what the minister read, We have comprehensive policy or position papers that we submitted. So it is all about ensuring that we put in strategic measures to attract and retain. As we speak, if you go to the Upper East region, for example, the number of doctors there are very few. Serving a population of almost one million, the number of doctors are just not inadequate. And we need to put in strategic measures to ensure that we send people there. If you want to just follow up on posting, posting, each year you post, and you have less than 10% of the people going to these places to work.
1: Well, uh, Alice, you, you, you've, you've allayed our fears uh, largely. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Doc.
6: Most welcome, my brother.
1: That's Dr. Justice Youngson, his vice president of the Ghana Medical Association. And that's how we end tonight's edition of Eyewitness News. My name is Omaru Sanda the production by six to Dong Ulu with support from Neil Lati Lati, the technical support from Daniel Squashi and of course the new media team here, CTFM and CDTV also helped with the Facebook live feed that we've been bringing you. Thank you for listening to us. stay with 97.3 ctFM relevant radio always <laughs>
4: City News, we speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City97.3 FM and on Twitter at City973.